And that's what we want to do this morning, isn't it? We want to worship our holy, holy God. I'm so delighted you can join us uh, live here. And what I'd like you to do is open up your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. Today we're going to be looking at verses 9 to 10. But before we do that, let me have a brief word of prayer and ask that the Lord would speak to us in a mighty way this morning. Speak right into our hearts where we need him. We, we need to expect God to speak and we desire that this morning. So let us pray to that end. Will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you that we can come before your word this morning. Lord, I praise your name for what Andrew shared with us at the beginning, that we can cast all our cares on you, for you care about us. All our anxieties upon you, for you care about us. And Lord, there are many anxieties and pains and worries that we feel right now. And Lord, we cast them to you. Lord, we pray that you would speak into our hearts of the privilege it is to be called your children uh, this morning. And so, Lord, I ask for the children watching in um, as they do their little drawings, Lord, that you'd help them be encouraged by church. And as the adults listen in, Lord, as well, I pray that there would be a deep sense of your presence in whatever room they are in right now, that they would know that God Almighty is in their midst. I pray all this in your precious name. Amen. Amen. So what I want to do is look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 to 10. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read first the section that we had last week and then read the couple of verses that we are looking at this week. So would you turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to start at verses 4 and read to verse 10. Let us look at God's word and ask him to speak. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men in the sight of God, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. To be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now 
you have received mercy. When I first read over this scripture for this morning, what overwhelmed me was the sense of privilege we have as God's people. That as I started to read these verses, I was overwhelmed with the fact of this, Lord, you are talking about me. You are talking about me and your people. What privilege we have. And there are some moments in life where the sense of privilege that you have overwhelms you. I remember in, in 2018, the day that she said, I do. The sense of that privilege overwhelmed me. Now I knew, Shane, it, it's, it's time now to stop being a boy and start being a man. You are going to be a husband. This title is a privileged title that only you have. What a privilege. Or, in December 2011, May 2013, December 2015, those dates were the dates where I held my three children in my hands for the very first time. And what overwhelms you, even the most Hardest and stern of fathers will be brought to tears by this fact. I'm now a father. And so I was overwhelmed with the sense of privilege that this is my new title. This is who I am and what a privilege it is to be a husband and a father. And sometimes we get those moments in life where we're overwhelmed with the privileges that we have. And so it is with this text. These two simple verses should overwhelm you with the privilege that you have to be God's people. And let me tell you why this privilege is so significant. You know, there are certain titles given to people that will only ever be given to one person ever in history. The first man to set foot on the moon, Neil Armstrong, unless you believe the conspiracy theories, but, but Neil Armstrong, the first one who set foot on the moon, said those famous words, one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. And what will always be true of him all the way throughout history is that he is the first man who set foot on the moon. That is his title. Nobody will be able to take him, that away from him. That is his privilege. And so what we see from these verses, what's so amazing about these verses, is these titles that he uses for us were only ever used of one people ever in the history of mankind. 
every single one of these descriptions and these titles that he uses for us in verse 9 were only ever used for one people. And some people believed that that is the way it was going to stay. That these titles were only ever to be given to one people group. But now what God is telling you is that no, these are true for you. And you now stand in the most privileged position of all have these glorious titles bestowed on you. And so what I want to do for, for the main chunk of this morning is just look at those titles and what they mean in verse 9. First, we are privileged people because we are a chosen people. Look at this in verse 9. But you are a chosen race. But you are a chosen race. One of the primary descriptions that, that Peter wants to give to a persecuted people at this time when Nero reigned is that they were chosen by God. This is so very important. You remember back in, in chapter 1, verse 1, it says this, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles. In other words, to those who are my chosen people. And so what they need in their mind is, mind's eye is this, though I am rejected by the world, yet I am chosen by God. Though the world persecutes me, God has chosen me. Though I am hated by the world, I am beloved by him. And that is what he wants them to feel. This overwhelming sense of privilege. Rejected by men and chosen by God. And is that not true of our Savior? When we looked at, the, at verse 4 from last week, as you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You see, this was the fate of Jesus. On the one hand, he was rejected by men, but he was chosen by God. And so it is true of his people. His people are rejected by men, yet chosen by God. What a privilege we have. And you know, we would run into a mistake if we were to see this chosen people as anything to do with our, our own innate um, qualities or our own innate specialities. It's not to do with who we are. It is to do with his love and his mercy and who he is. Because humanly speaking, when we choose people, who are we going to choose? We are going to choose the cream of the crop, aren't we? 
We're going to choose, humanly speaking, you would always choose the best, wouldn't you? And in our minds, that's kind of what we think. If he's going to choose, he's going to choose the best because that's how we as human beings choose, isn't it? Take yourself years back into the playground. When you were a young kid in, in the playground and it was time to pick teams, what was the first fight that used to happen when you were, when you were going to pick teams? The first fight was this. Who is going to get first pick? In other words, who is going to be the captain? Who's going to get first pick? Because those who would get first pick would do what? They would choose the best. That's what you do as a human. You would choose the best. But not so with God in his choosing. God in his choosing is totally totally different than us. I want you to take you back to when he chose Israel, God's people Israel. And I'm going to read a few verses this morning and you don't need to turn there, but I'd encourage you maybe to write it down and look at it afterwards. Or as I'm reading it, really try and, and tune in. Don't just tune off as I'm reading these verses. Listen to what God says of the people he chose back in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 7, verse 6 to 7. Listen to this. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, it was not because you were more in number than the other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all people. You see, when God was choosing his people, back in the old covenant time, in the Old Testament, when God was choosing his people, he didn't choose the greatest nation. He didn't choose the best nation. He didn't choose the most numerous nation. Who did he choose? He chose the people who were the fewest so that we could see his mercy, his grace, his, his glory on full display. And when he chose us, did he cho choose the elites? Did he choose the cream of the crop? No. We hear in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27, these words. Listen carefully. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. So who did God choose? God chose not only the fewest, but God chose the weakest. So that what? Everybody might boast in him. If we were choosing ourselves, if we were picking ourselves, if, if it was based on anything else, then we would get the glory. But no, it is based upon his grace that we are his chosen people. Oh, what a privilege we have this morning. Have you felt weak? 
recently? Have you felt like the fewest recently? Sometimes when I look around this world, and when I look around at all the values of this world, and all the people around me, I feel weak, and I feel few. But hear me. Let us not let that sense of weakness drive us to despair, but let it drive us to delight in Him. Let those moments when you feel foolish in the eyes of the world, when you feel weak, when you feel weary, let those moments drive you back to this reality. That is how He chose me. He chose me not when I was good, not when I was in a great position. No, He chose me when I was at the low of the low, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's how we were chosen. And let your weakness that you feel every day remind you of that great privilege that you have in him. We are privileged people because we are a chosen people. Also, we see this in the text that we are a privileged people because we are a priestly people. Look what it says, verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. Oh, there is so much reason I want us to take our time going through these verses because these scriptures, these titles were only ever used for one people group in all of history. And now for the very first time, these titles are used for somebody else. And that is who? You and me. We get to be a part of this. And the very first time he used this language of God's people, all of this is in fulfillment of Scripture. All of these titles were used of God's people before. And the very first time this kind of title was used of God's people, an expectation of God's people that they would be a priestly people serving after God, is all the way back in Exodus chapter 19, when God was making a covenant with his people, the old covenant with his people at Sinai. And in chapter 19, we hear him say these words. And, and here, as I, as I say this, hear how these words echo this verse. Chapter 19, verse 5. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Did you hear what he said? Here, here's the agreement. Here is the covenant that would happen. If you obey me, if you follow me, if you follow this agreement. And let me just sum it up like this. After chapter 19, in chapter 20, you have the Ten Commandments. And most of us know what the Ten Commandments are. So part of the agreement was this. If you keep my commandments, if you keep my ten words, this Decalogue, this, this Ten Commandments, if you keep that, then here's what's going to be true for you. You're going to be my possession. You're going to be my holy nation. 
You're going to be my kingdom of priests if you keep my commands. What do you think happened? How does it go for you when you try and keep commands? Terribly, doesn't it? Well, it went terribly for them. They could not keep the commands and the demands of the law. In fact, what the law did was it showed them more of their sin. They could not keep it. And so in not keeping it, what happened? They forsook their priestly title. And so what did God do? How then do we become these priestly people? Are we expected to keep all these commands in order that we might get this title? Well, no, what God did is something amazing. He brought about the new covenant. And he said, right, here's what I'm going to do. I am going to do, make a new covenant. And in this new covenant, I am going to bring a new priest and a new sacrifice. And that priest is going to be the great high priest. He is going to be perfect and fully obedient. And he is going to be the perfect once for all sacrifice. And those who believe on him will inherit all of his obedience. And they will get a new heart. And therefore, because of his obedience and his sacrifice, we get to be called a priesthood, a royal priesthood. Why? Because our king, he is not only a priest, but he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And therefore, all who believe in him and all who are in him, Become royal priesthood. We're part of royalty. We're part of God's house. Not in this world. You look foolish in this world. But oh, we are heirs of his kingdom. Because of him. And with that priesthood comes a responsibility, doesn't it? We heard that last week in chapter, in verse 5. The priesthood offers up what? Spiritual sacrifices. One of those spiritual sacrifices was this in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, offer up your bodies, all of you, all of your being, all of your plans, hopes, and ambitions, everything. Sacrifice everything unto the Lord. But there is another spiritual sacrifice that I want to challenge you with this morning. As God's people, we are called to offer up. Spiritual sacrifice of praise. Listen to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15. It says this. Through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. What is the spiritual sacrifice we are called to offer up there as his priestly people? Offer up lips of praise. Here is my concern. Over this time, there's many of us who really do not like to sing. We feel embarrassed to sing. 
And so during this time, we haven't been gathering as God's people. And what we've been doing online is providing you with, with songs that you are to sing. But my fear is this. And most of you tune into this service as though you're watching TV. And if you're tuning in to be entertained, can I tell you what? You're going to be disappointed. But if you tune in to worship, I do believe that you might meet with God. And if you're going to offer up sacrifices to God, that includes lips of praise. Even at this time. I don't care if there's two of you squawking like dying crows in your living room. He is calling you to praise. Give him that praise. He deserves the praise of your lips. Sing to him throughout the days, each day. Take a moment to sing with your lips to him. One of the reasons we sing is it's a humbling thing. And then even online, join in and sing. We are his priestly people and that is one of the sacrifices that we give. So not only are we a chosen people and a priestly people, but we are privileged because we are counted as a holy people. Listen to what he says, verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And one of the reasons I'm focusing on this is because Peter could have just said, you're God's people, and then got on with instructions. But no, he takes each of these titles that were reserved for only one people ever in history, and now he says, those belong to you. And we have heard this description of a holy nation in both the passages I read to you this morning. Deuteronomy 7 said that. And Exodus 19 said that. This is who we are. And I'm not going to spend too long on this title because next week we're going to talk about this idea of holy living. But just for now, there are two things about this title, holy and nation. Holy means that we are set apart for God's purposes in this world. That means our lives are going to look different. And when people look at us as Christians, they should say, why are they doing that? What are they doing? Their lives look completely different. And so God has set us apart so that others might see him in us. We are holy unto him. And then it says, we're a nation. And I don't know if you've noticed in these verses, but in these verses, it says a chosen race. A race, a people, a nation. And people could object to that and say, well, actually, you know what? I already have a race. Actually, you know what? I'm already part of a people. Actually, you know what? I already have a nationality. I'm part of a nation. I don't need these titles. I already have that. What God is saying to you this morning is, no, you have something new. Your race, your people, your nation is not here. Your citizenship primarily is in heaven. 
And when he goes on in the second half of this book to tell us what we are to do in this world, he wants us to keep in mind that this world is not our home. Our citizenship is in heaven. The fourth privilege he wants us to be clear in is that we are not only a chosen people, and a priestly people and a holy people, but we are a people of his possession. Listen to what it says. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. And we heard that in the verses before as well. That we are his possession. And what does possession mean? What is the, the picture of that word? That we are in this privileged position, that we are his possession. What does that mean? Well, to help us, I was watching an experiment with my children the other day. And this experiment, in this experiment, they wanted to look at how certain people behave. It was behavioral analysis. And as they were looking at the behavior of people, here's what they did. They set up a raffle. And in this raffle, they ha- they sold tickets. And the tickets were um, five euro, or the program was... Um, Based on American experiments, so it's five dollars. But the tickets were were five euro, and then the main prize of in this raffle was was an iPad, and all the prizes kind of came down from that. The iPad was was the best one, and everything kind of stepped down from that. And so what people had done is they went and they bought these raffle tickets. Loads of people had bought them for five euro, and then so in the experiment. What the host of the program did is went to each of the people and offered them 10 euro for their 5 euro ticket. And every single one of them said no. And then they increased the value and offered every single person 15 euro for the 5 euro ticket. And every single one of them, except one person, said no. And then you think to yourself, well, that does not make any sense. First of all, the raffle, you're not guaranteed to win anything with that five euro ticket. So take the 15 euro and you've made a profit. Or, or if you're thinking rationally, what you could do is take the 15 euro and buy three more tickets. But through all these people who had bought this ticket for five euro, none of them accepted the 15 euro. What was going on? And in the experiment, they told us that scientists call this the endowment effect, which is this. The moment you own something, the moment you possess something, is the moment it becomes more precious to you. And anything else, you lose your sense of perception. This possession becomes precious. And so that's what's in this word. What it means that we are his possession means this. We are precious to him. You are precious to him. 
You see, not only do we see him as the living stone and as the cornerstone and as the precious stone, not only do we see Christ as precious, but he sees us as precious. You are precious to him. You are his and he is yours and nothing can change that. And this is the amazing thing about these four titles. Is nothing, nothing can take them away from you. This is your privilege. This is who you are. There are certain titles in this world that will never be taken away from you. I was thinking that this week about my children. My children will always be my children. No matter how my children behave, they will always be my children. No matter what job they do, they will always be my children. No matter how they fail in life, they will always be my children. No matter how they disappoint me or whatever they do, they will always be my children and nothing ever will change that. Listen to me, you will always be his people. And once you have believed in him by faith, those privileges that are bestowed upon you will never, ever, ever be taken away. Hallelujah to his name. This is where you sit. And our life feels so mundane all the time. You know, where you're sitting right now, some of you are probably like sitting in your bed and watching on a dinky phone. And and it seems like nothing significant is happening in my life. All with these titles. You're part of royalty. You're part of a new people. You're part of a chosen people. You belong to God Almighty. What a privilege. And how do I know that you belong to him? How can we know that these titles are truly ours? Verse 10 says this. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Mercy. How can you know that these titles are true of you? When you deserved punishment, you got mercy. You deserved the cross, but He took it in your place. That's mercy. You deserve the punishment of your sins. But he took them all upon him. That's mercy. He deserved to be called the righteous one. And he is. But in him, you are the righteousness of God. That is mercy. What Peter is doing is quoting Hosea chapter 2 verse 23. When God was rebuking his people that had committed adultery against him. 
And he said, God said, one day I am going to take a people. One day I'm going to take a group of people who are not my people. And I'm going to say to them, you are now my people. And that's what's happening right here, right now. That's what blows me away from, with scripture. That's what makes me know that scripture is a living word. Because I am part of the story. I get to be a part of this story. God said once back in the day, there's people that are not my people that are going to be called mine. And now we are living that reality of that prophecy. All because of the mercy of God. That's why these titles are yours. Not because of your virtue, but because of his mercy. And you know, there is a saying and this is where the rubber meets the road with all of this. There is a saying that goes like this. With great privilege comes great responsibility. With great privilege comes great responsibility. You see, the temptation is. You know, with privileged children, if you've ever seen privileged children, the temptation is just to sit on your privilege, to let life just pass you by. Sit and rest and relax in your position of privilege. And often that is what Christians are guilty of doing. Sitting in their privilege of being chosen. Sitting on their privilege of being a priesthood. Sitting in their privilege of being holy in his possession. And yet doing nothing about it. With these privileges come a great responsibility. Let me show you what that responsibility is. Verse 9. But you are a chosen race. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. That's the privilege. Now, what's the responsibility? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. This is why we were given all these privileges. This is the purpose of the privileges. That we might proclaim his excellencies. And we might say to people, listen, he, he has brought me out of the darkness. Called me. That's the language. He called me out of the darkness and brought me into the most marvelous light. And what we want to do is just go to people and say, look at his excellencies. I love that word, don't you? Excellencies. Brilliant translation. Oh, that we might proclaim the excellencies of people. That is the purpose. It's why we are what we are. That's why we have what we have. So we can proclaim his glorious name. But we won't do that unless we have a deep sense of who we really are. When I think of the proclamation of Jesus... In Ireland, in this land, what we are called to do. When I think of that, I think of, of one man in particular. I think of Patrick. 
Now, when you think of Patrick, when you think of St. Patrick, what is it that comes into your mind? When you think of St. Patrick, here's what probably comes into your mind. Parades, drunk people, and green things. Shamrock. So that's what kind of comes into our mind. When we think of Patrick, we think of kind of silliness and debauchery and all these things. That's what comes into our minds when we think of Patrick. But listen, that is a travesty. When we think of Patrick, there is one thing that should be primarily on our minds, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Because Patrick, after his time of slavery in Ireland, went back to Britannia, known then as Britannia, to Britain. And when he went back to Britain, he had, he had already become a Christian. He had already trusted in Christ. And, and when he was there, he had a dream. And, and the dream in the dream, there was the, the Irish were, were calling him back to proclaim the gospel to them. And so he went on theological training to get himself ready for the mission. And when he was getting himself ready to go back to Ireland, people thought... He was insane because they knew the dangers that were awaiting him in the land of Ireland. The persecution that was awaiting him. People weren't ready saying, oh, give me the gospel. And so even Christians at the time didn't want him to go. But he knew he had to go because he had a message to proclaim. And when he went, he was in great danger because in Ireland there are over 180 little kingdoms, little tribal kingdoms and kings. And they were very possessive over their land, over their patch of land, over their fields. And so Patrick tells us of the dangers that he experienced. Listen to what he says. Daily I expect murder, fraud and captivity. Daily he expected persecution. But he said, I fear none of these things because of the promises of heaven. I have cast myself into the hands of God Almighty who rules everywhere. Patrick had one mission. I'm going to go over and I'm going to proclaim. No matter what the dangers. And I'm going to cast myself into God's hands. And in Patrick's own words, do you know what happened? Thousands were converted and came to know Jesus. When I think of proclamation in this land, I think of him. I think of a man who did not sit on his privilege. He came from a privileged family. But deserted it all to proclaim Christ to this nation. That is what we should do. With our privilege, we need to proclaim him. And so I want to finish with this, something that's really practical. I want to be really practical about this right now and ask you and me this. How are we going to proclaim his name right now? How are we going to do this as a small little group? As the fewest, those who would be seen as, as fools in the eyes of the world. How are we going to do this? How are we going to proclaim the wonders of Jesus? Here's what we're going to do. We have made or developed a four-night study 
It is a study that's just on the basics of Christianity. That's what we're calling it. Christianity, the basics. And for four nights in February, on Zoom, from 8 to 8.45, we're going to invite people to come to this basic study on Christianity. We're going to send out the link. I'm going to send out this post tomorrow morning to you on WhatsApp. And we're going to post it out on our social media and invite people in. And even in this time, we are going to try a small effort to proclaim the excellencies of Christ. So what should you do about it? Well, number one, we should pray. Let's pray that God would do something and that people would come. Pray. Pray for me as I, I teach that on, on, on Wednesday nights for that 45 minutes. Pray that people would come. Pray for people in your life to come. So pray. Number two, we're going to need some to attend. Um, some to think about attending and, and be part of the group that can be part of the discussion, both men and women. We probably won't have everybody. But pray and, and think about attending. And number three, here's the challenge. Invite. As I send you out this text tomorrow, is there one person that you can invite? And let's do it together. Let's not sit on our privilege, but let us seek to proclaim the excellencies of the one who has brought us out from the darkness into his glorious light. I want us to respond by singing now for the cause. So let us sing that together now. And as we sing, I want you to take this opportunity to reflect and pray about what you would do in response to God's word. So let us sing for the cause.